head out and sixth through eighth graders, you guys can meet in the back uh, to head over for your time as well. So if you happen to be visiting us uh, or haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we started a series. Uh, this is the third week called Slow to Anger and um, kind of taking a look at a couple things. One is just recognition that we live in an increasingly angry world and that God himself described himself as being a God who is slow to anger on multiple occasions. And so we've been taking a look at not only what does that look like for us to be more slow to anger, but also are we getting angry about the right things? Are we getting angry about the same things that God got angry about? Um, so that's where we've been. Uh, just out of curiosity, have any of you found yourself actually becoming more slow to anger the last couple of weeks? Yeah, yeah. Anybody more angry than they've ever been? <laughs> right? Well, what we have to keep in mind too, though, I mean, I say that in jest, but honestly, you know, we have an enemy, right? We have an adversary who anytime that we are trying to move closer to Jesus and allow ourselves to be transformed by him, he is not going to just sit idly by and allow that to happen. He's going to continue to, um, you know, give us opportunities to not be the person that God is calling us to be. So he's going to ramp up his work as well. Um, so we have to keep that in mind maybe as we pray and uh, engage in this journey that we need to pray for protection, pray for strength, um, because the enemy doesn't want us to be more like Christ. But hopefully you've maybe begun to put in some practice, some healthy tools that we've kind of talked about um, so that we're not rushing into an angry reaction. Um, has anyone been able to ask themselves if what they're getting angry about are the same things that Jesus gets angry about? Anybody thought some of those thoughts? Yeah, just Jeff, Brent, good couple of you. Awesome. Yes. So guys, really the true test and what we're trying to learn and wrestle with um, in this series is how it gets applied to our daily life as we try to reflect the heart of Christ. So we have to be taking a look at like, are we allowing the word of God, the things we've been studying to transform us, right? Are we um, inviting uh, people to come in and, and have some accountability, maybe some correction in our lives? Are we praying that God would begin to, to move us and not just like, I'm going to try harder, but actually understanding that this is a work of the Spirit in us um, that's going to help us be transformed. So hopefully it's become a part of your prayer life as well. Are we repenting maybe more quickly or maybe more fervently? as we recognize the places in our life where our anger has been fueled by sin. So hopefully, at the very minimum, hopefully all of us are come, becoming a little bit more aware of our anger issues, both on both sides of the spectrum, right? Too much or not enough. As we've talked about, sometimes we can be a little bit numb to things that really that Jesus was angry about that for whatever reason just doesn't, hasn't concerned us that we, we need to be more angry about. So some of us are under-angered, and we need to fire that up as well, okay? Maybe coming to terms with the knowledge that the way we've operated can't continue. So all those things are hopefully some good first steps for you. But I want to dive into this conversation today about rules, okay? So we all have kind of a complicated relationship with rules. Uh, some of us are more naturally wired to obey, 
and kind of stay within the lines and keep the peace. And sometimes those personality types can get very judgmental, a little critical, a little frustrated with those who brazenly break the rules, even if the rules don't make any sense, right? So who are my rule followers out there? Yeah, wonderful, okay? God loves you, okay? (laughs) Now we're gonna talk about your adversaries, the rule breakers, some of those naturally rebellious spirits see boundaries as invitations to be broken, okay? And they tend to think, let's see what really happens when I break the man's rules, right? Do I get punished or fined or go to jail? Let's, let's see if these people really mean what they say they mean, right? And these folks are especially bothered by what they would consider dumb rules, right? Who, who are the rebels in the audience today? Yes, yeah, more of you in the back. I see how that works. Mm-hmm. So I kind of find myself, I like to think of myself as being more in the middle, right? Don't we all at some level? I'm generally a rule follower as long as the rules make sense. Okay, so it has to make sense for me. So I want to warn you, I'm about to make some true confessions of law-breaking right here. So if that's like too much for you to handle your pastor confessing to right now, if you close your ears up for the next minute or so, it's going to get a little dicey here, okay? I generally believe in the need for rules to keep order and keep people safe, okay? And about 98% of the time, red stoplights are a good thing, okay? I understand why they're there. Most of the time when there's traffic, they're incredibly necessary as long as everybody's following the rule, correct? Okay, so I get it. But if I pull up to a stoplight at 10 p.m. and it's red and there is nobody in sight and it takes more than about five seconds for that thing to turn green, I'm probably running that red light. Because at that point, it's just becoming a hindrance to me getting home and going to bed. And that is more important than that rule that in that situation doesn't really make much sense. Okay? Can I get an amen? (laughs) Same thing with like crossing signals, right? If there's a lot of traffic and there's definitely a need for safety there, I'm going to push the button. I'm going to wait for the little white man to appear to tell me that's okay to go. If I walk out and there's no traffic, I'm not pushing the button. I'm looking around. I'm making an assessment as an adult and saying, I think I can cross this street without anybody telling me to, okay, or whatever color the lights might be at that time, okay? So, I know that there are some cops in the room this morning, and you rule followers might be cringing a bit at my confession, so I apologize for that. But there's no escaping rules, okay? They're they're an important part of society to help us keep us all kind of safe and orderly. And that's no different in the spiritual world, right? We come to the Bible. The Bible is filled with laws and rules that we are supposed to obey and that are there for our good. But then there are also some man-made rules that kind of creep into religion that at times can um, make us kind of miss the heart of God. Like what was the heart behind what God was trying to communicate? One of my first experiences with Christianity 
was um, my cross-country coach in high school um, got me signed up for this Christian camp many of you have heard of called Canacuck. It's kind of down in the Branson, southern Missouri area. So after my freshman year of high school, I'm not a Christian, had hardly ever been to church in my life. I go down to this camp for a week. And I get to the camp and I, um, I, I learned this was a Christian sports camp. Um, I showed up with what they considered contraband. Okay, now it wasn't like a bag of weed or anything, so everybody just settle down, all right? <laughs> that wasn't in my script. That was just, you know, what's the most shocking thing I could say? No. So I get to this Christian sports camp, and apparently candy was banned. And what you're supposed to do, so I kind of get there, I get into my cabin, you know, I'm just like, I'm a little like, on edge because I'm not sure what this experience is going to be like. And like one of the first things they say are like, you got to turn all your candy in. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I am not giving you my candy. Like, and I did not turn my candy in. Um, I had this bag of Jolly Ranchers that I was like, I had plans for that week. Those were spoken for. So I did not turn those in. And what I proceeded to do during that week is I would wake up during the middle of the night. I didn't like set an alarm or anything, okay, but every night I'd wake up and I would reach down under my bunk bed and find a Jolly Rancher and I would quietly open that Jolly Rancher, being careful not to wake anybody in the cabin. And then I would take my wrapper and I would put it through a hole in the cabin floor to the underworld, wherever that disappeared to. And then I would savor that sinful treat. And I wasn't sure if I was going to hell because of it, but it was a dumb rule. I was not willing to follow in order to be a Christian, I guess, at that point. So a lot of Jesus's anger was directed at rules that didn't always make sense. Like there was a time and a place for some of them, but, but not in every situation did they make sense. And there were certainly a lot of, of God-given rules in the Old Testament that kind of governed Jewish daily life about things they could eat and things they had to do to go to church to be served. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. The most famous of those rules was probably the Ten Commandments. Most of us have heard of those. And one commandment in particular um, kind of caused a lot of drama when Jesus came on the scene. So I want to take a look at what that was. It's in Exodus 20, it says, this is, I think it's the fourth one listed. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, what do you think God's heart was behind making that a rule for us to follow? What was his heart behind it? Why did it make the big 10, you think? Yeah. Because humans need rest, okay? If God rested, then we ought to have to rest too, right? Okay, what else? Yeah, Phil? Okay, to facilitate a dependence on him, to recognize our need for him, to, 
to restore us and give us life and energy and everything. Yeah. What else? Anything else? Yeah. Read. Okay. Yeah, so it's setting aside a time for us to kind of focus on God and kind of make him the center of, of what we're doing, right? So no matter what we've been doing throughout the week, our jobs, our family, all those things, it's just time to come together and like get our eyes refocused on the creator of all this and who gave us life and all that stuff, okay? So we can see the good behind it, okay? The problem was is that there's this group of, of folks called the Pharisees who were, um, you know, these religious leaders in, in, in Jewish culture who... They were really into rule making and they came up with all these man-made rules because they looked at that and they were like, well, that's kind of a little bit gray, what constitutes work? And so we're gonna make a bunch of rules about what constitutes work so that everybody can be really clear about what is work on the Sabbath. And so they created this set of laws, kind of this code that was called the Mishnah and there were 39 rules about what constituted work, okay? One man-made rule kind of makes the implication that you could, for instance, like spit on a rock on the Sabbath, but you can't spit on the dirt because you might be making mud and that was work. Okay, so that's like how ridiculous this was becoming at, at the time when Jesus is kind of arriving on the scene. And rules like this are what I would call um, adventures in missing the point. Okay, and when we were starting Wellspring, there was a book written around that time called Adventures in Missing the Point. And it was asking the question, like, how are we as the church kind of losing our ball in the weeds and making it difficult for people to encounter God? We're actually making it harder for people to, to have access to God because of just some of the dumb ways that we operate that don't make any sense. And then we tried to avoid as many of those as possible. Um, starting our church. So I want you to turn to Luke 14. We're going to take a look at some of these encounters that Jesus has with these Pharisees. So Luke 14, it's page 1488. Luke 14 in verse 1, it says, One Sabbath, which for the Jews was on Saturday, okay, when Jesus went to eat, in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So I love how Jesus asked this question on the front end. And gives them the opportunity to decide whether that particular rule makes sense in every situation. Because it's like we've got a, a live person right here in front of us who has a need. So everybody can see that this guy is not normal and he's got some issues here, okay? So he's giving them the opportunity to like say something and to recognize how ridiculous some of their rules were. Let's look at verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 4. But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. 
Then he asked him, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. They had nothing to say because they knew he was right. (laughs) There were certain situations where the call to love supersedes the rule to rest. Okay? There are certain situations where the call to love superseded the rule to rest, or at least it should. This issue around caring for people on the Sabbath must have been a really uh, particular thorn in Jesus' side. Because as you look through the four different Gospels, there's seven different accounts where Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath a lot of times in the presence of these religious leaders that he knew were going to have a problem with this. In John chapter 5, Jesus has that famous encounter with this man who's been paralyzed. It's in this pool in Bethesda that was supposed to have some healing powers. Remember, he's been laying there for decades, can't get himself to the pool to be healed. And Jesus encounters him that day and has compassion on him. And he calls him and he says, hey, get up and walk. Take up your mat and walk. And this guy does. And then he begins to be questioned when the Pharisees find out about it. They come to him and they question him in John 5. It says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so it was not okay to heal on the Sabbath, but it was okay to plot murder. That makes a lot of sense, right? Hashtag sarcasm, folks, okay? You can see the duplicity here. So it's clear that Jesus was more interested in doing good than in always following the rules. He was playing a different game than the Pharisees were playing a different way of viewing like what honoring God meant. He understood that there are gray areas at times that have to be negotiated with a higher law in mind. As his followers then, we have to hold in tension both the spirit of the law, what are some of the reasons why the Bible says what it does and kind of tries to give us some direction with this higher calling First of all, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but then to love our neighbor as ourself. If the rule gets in the way of those things, then we have to examine whether the rule fits the situation that we're dealing with here. Okay? I want you to flip back just one uh, chapter to Luke 13. Okay? Another encounter that Jesus has. We're going to start in verse 10. It says, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant, remember we've seen that word before, right? Which means literally shaking with anger. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, which is just ridiculous (laughs) when you think about it. Like, 
anyways, I'm not going to go into that discussion. <laughs> the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Why do you think the people were delighted? Yeah. Yeah, because they were just kind of sick of this, these rules that had been imposed on them, like I said, that didn't make sense. Yeah, that's great. What else? Yeah. Okay, so Jesus was connecting with the humanity. Right, that sometimes we can get so fixated on just these are the rules and we have to keep them that we could miss the just the life, the person right in front of us that has this very tangible need, right? That we can how can we just look past that to think that the rule is the more important thing? Okay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you don't hear a lot, hear a lot of healing stories um, from other people besides Jesus, right? So I think, yeah, they were able to look at, see somebody who was like, wow, they're taking into consideration something bigger than just this finite set of operating that the, the Pharisees have claimed is, is spiritual. And they're seeing this real breakthrough happening as people's lives are being transformed. And it's Man, it's just like this hope, this anticipation of like, wow, is the kingdom here? Is this the Messiah? Like there's so many things wrapped up into the delight of the crowd. And honestly, like I'm sure they were a little bit delighted, the sinful part of them, that like these guys are finally getting put in their place. Like these guys that have kind of been lording it over us and making us feel not good enough are kind of being told by somebody, hey, you guys are missing it. And, and calling them hypocrites. And I mean, Jesus comes at them pretty hard in a lot of different places. Talking about the Pharisees in Matthew 23, Jesus said this to the crowd in Matthew 23, 4. He said, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Right? So that's one of Jesus' big complaints with the Pharisees. Like all these laws and rules you're putting people is just, are just weighing them down with guilt and shame and never feeling good enough and you're not lifting a finger to try to help them. And, you know, if you keep reading, I was thinking about that, the transition even from the gospels to the early church and how the disciples were really having a hard time navigating kind of the same discussion. And they were there during all of Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees and, you know, seeing the rules and all that stuff. But then there became these new issues that came up, right? Because Paul was this apostle that was chosen to go take the message of Jesus to a non-Jewish people, the Gentiles and the rest of the Roman Empire. So, you know, other places like Greece and Rome. And, and, and these were people that were not ethnically Jews. They didn't have, the Old Testament was not their story. But the Old Testament is filled with all these laws that are very cultural towards the Jewish 
uh, nation in particular, things they could eat and ways they had to uh, clean themselves before they went to the temple and all this stuff. And so were non-Jewish people supposed to do all of these Jewish things? Like, did they have to do those things to become Christians? And this was a big argument. And if you keep reading through Paul's letters and through Acts, you see these things going back and forth. Were those things non-negotiables? And, and, you know, the rubber really met the road when Paul had to stand in front of, like, let's say, like a 30-year-old Gentile man and say, in order to become a Christian, you have to be circumcised. You know, that could be a deal breaker for some folks, right? Because Jews, they brought their boys to the temple. They, they circumcised on the eighth day of their life, eight days old compared to whatever age an adult person would be when they would hear this message, right? All the Jesus stuff sounds awesome, but that part about the circumcision, not so much, okay? So... As the guy who was delivering this message on the front lines to that audience and then going back to Jerusalem to check back in with the apostles, the guys that had been, you know, Jesus' right-hand men, they're like, guys, I'm out there trying to tell you, you're not out there giving that message to them. I'm out there doing that, and, and, and it's a problem out there, right? Help me. We can't have this be the rule. Look at what Paul wrote to the Gentile church in Galatia in Galatians 6.15. He said, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Okay, so in the old set of of laws, the way that the Jews were separated from everybody else was God gave them this sign of circumcision. Okay, it was a bodily sign that these people are different and set apart from me. But Jesus, Jesus ushered in something completely different, a completely new kingdom. And he said, what needs to be circumcised is your heart. Like, that's what needs to change. That's the sign you're mine. And so that's this new thing, this new rule that needed to be reinterpreted to a different group of people, okay? I love this quote I came across by Abraham Lincoln speaking about 150 years ago on this very topic. I'll read it for all the the blind out there. He says, I've never united myself to any church because I have found difficulty in giving my assent without mental reservation to the long, complicated statements of Christian doctrine which characterize their articles of belief and confession of faith. When any church will inscribe over its altar as its sole qualification for membership, the Savior's condensed statement of the substance of both law and gospel, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself, that church will I join with all my heart and all my soul. That's interesting, isn't it? He's recognizing that all the things, this hoops that they're having this jump through, sometimes distract us from the ultimate things that God said, we gotta get these right, (laughs) right? We gotta get these two right before we worry about any other rules. And those things were becoming a hindrance to people. You see, legalism puts up barriers to the Father that don't need to exist. Sacred cows, hills to die on that miss the heart of God. And when people reduce Christianity to a set of rules and kind of define how you're doing at it based on how you keep them, Jesus, that makes him angry. (laughs) A guy named Steve Brown wrote a book called scandalous freedom 
And he said this, he said, the good news is that Christ frees us from the need to obnoxiously focus on our goodness, our commitment, and our correctness. Religion has made us obsessive almost beyond endurance. Jesus invited us to a dance, and we've turned it into a march of soldiers, always checking to see if we're doing it right and are in step and in line with the other soldiers. We know a dance would be more fun, but we believe we must go through hell to get to heaven, so we keep marching. The Apostle Paul said this, he said, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Right? The rules were like a yoke of slavery to us. And Jesus has come and set us free to something different. Let's not go back, run back to the rules. And we got to remember this, guys. It was a non-religious people. <laughs> the folks who didn't want to or didn't think they could keep all the rules who flocked to Jesus. And it was the alleged rule followers, the church folks, who were trying to kill him. So as I wrap this up this morning, I want to attempt to bring this conversation home to kind of like the church climate that I see in America today, okay? And I'll start with the comment that Jesus made to the Jewish religious leaders in Matthew 23. He said this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. Okay, so they're, they're tithing all the way down to the amount of spices that they have. They're giving 10% of their spices to God. <laughs> but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guide. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. What is Jesus saying here? What's he trying to communicate? Yeah. 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 You're neglecting some of the big rules to, to follow other rules that are, that are missing people that need to be cared for. What else? I love the part that he says about you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former, right? It's not an either or discussion, right? You can do both. You can honor God by, by following, you know, certain things that make sense in, in certain situations that he's asked us to do, but then also care for people the way that I've cared ask you to care for them, okay? So, guys, I, I, some of you guys know that I work uh, just kind of on the side with this organization called Care Portal. We talk about it here at church. Um, and my job as, as an ambassador is to go talk to other pastors and to try to, um, first of all, get their church signed up to do Care Portal. Care Portal is a ministry that kind of comes alongside families in crisis, um, vulnerable families um, in your community. Um, to try to provide and help for them and also just encourage people to maybe enter into foster and adopt conversations. Um, and that can be a really frustrating <laughs> journey um, because over the last couple of years, kind of coming out of the, 
pandemic and, and the season that's kind of followed that, I've noticed it getting harder and harder to get churches involved in caring for the vulnerable in their communities. I see a lot of leaders uh, being really focused on kind of recovering financially from COVID and making sure they can pay their bills and just kind of making sure that their church can survive moving forward, that they've lost the bigger picture of our call to love our neighbor in very tangible ways. Not just with a donation here or there. A lot of churches are fairly willing to do that, give some money, but, but giving their life on a very intimate basis with people in crisis, it's extremely difficult. <laughs> I, you guys would be appalled at the number of churches who will even just seriously engage in a conversation about fostering and adopting. Like it blows my mind how far off the radar that discussion is. And it, it makes you feel, well, here, let me say this. I see many churches focused on their theology and being right about certain biblical topics. If you just look on, depending on who you follow on Twitter, you can follow along on what are the conversations that are being had out there in the church world. There's a lot of discussion about that. While a hurting world around them is desperate to see their theology in action. It just feels like so many Christians are missing the point. And I'm, I'm, I'm signing up with, I'm probably missing the point too. Okay, so I'm not here tooting my horn. I think just the whole thing just saddens God's heart. And my point is this. I think if Jesus were to visit our churches here in America today, he would experience many of the same frustrations that he was experiencing here with these Pharisees in his time. Christians, proposed followers of him, who are putting their focus and attention on things that aren't most central to the heart of God. Following rules that aren't even biblical. Loading people down with shoulds and ought tos. While neglecting the issues and the people that are dearest to his heart. I see people elevating the minors and whiffing on the majors of loving God and loving their neighbor. And it makes me think of like, if you keep reading in Matthew, we've been talking about Matthew, Matthew 25. One day it says that we're going to be separated by those who love the least of these and those who didn't. Not our viewpoint on this doctrine or that doctrine about whatever, but on how we cared for people. That, that's a conversation I want to make sure I get right. If I'm going to land on the right side of something, that's, that's the one I'm going to make sure that I get figured out. <laughs> but here's my problem with my anger and my frustration on this, is that it usually leads to pride and arrogance in my heart. Right? And we've talked about scripture says, in your anger, do not sin. Right? So, darn it, you know? I missed it. <laughs> what it needs to do in me is it needs to lead me and us to a sadness over the hardness of our hearts. My own hardness and, and just the hardness of his church in general. 
Because guys, you know, this is the reality is that I've been that person focused on the wrong things. And in those moments, God's been very compassionate and gracious and kind and patient towards me. And it's his kindness that led me to repent of my sin and neglecting those that he cared about the most, the lost and the vulnerable in our world. So let me just ask you a couple questions as we close today. What could be getting in the way of us responding in love to the people who most need the healing touch of Jesus in their life? Have we lost our ball in the weeds in the wrong field? Like we're not even in the right field of discussion over issues that distract us from our true calling to reflect a God who is love in this world. We just sang a song this morning, I know my God is love. When I went to camp and had to give my candy away, that didn't feel like love. People were trying to take my candy for Jesus. <laughs> I did not feel loved in that moment. <laughs> Guys, are we angry about the right things? Are we having the right discussions? Are we tweeting about issues that really matter to the heart of God? Maybe we should spend less time having the arguments and the discussions and the tweeting and more time actually loving and caring for the people that Jesus came to live and die for. That he says, my heart is really tender towards those vulnerable folks. All right, I'm done. Guys, when we like, I'm always trying to, to make connections, right? So I'm always wanting to say, okay, every, every discussion that we have in the Gospels, there's, there's a segue to communion. So this morning, what's our, what's our segue? And we, we talked about one is like while the, the rule followers were, were trying to get rid of Jesus, he's laying his life down so that people could live. He's laying his life down for the rule followers who are killing him, right? And so that's our attitude. Our attitude can't be one of like, yeah, I've kind of got this conversation figured out. Those doggone rule followers and they're missing the point. It's like, no, that wasn't Jesus' spirit. His heart was, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, right? And his compassion and tenderness led them back. Okay, so let's, let's just make sure that we're, we're being humble around this conversation today, that we're looking at our own heart first, that we're having the discussion of, God, am I, am I getting angry about the right things? Am I putting my emphasis in the right places? If I'm not, please shape and change me. Help me to have this spirit of just brokenness and poured outness to the world. We're going to take some time to just pray, let you marinate in that truth today, and um, and then we'll be dismissed by the ushers to come up and uh, take the communion. You can tear it off, dip it in the cup. If you need gluten-free option, that's going to be down on the far left side. We've got some gluten-free crackers you can take as well. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, just journey through these different um, encounters that you had that just raised the question of, um, you know, just what are we supposed to do in places where um, the rules and the law, even though maybe given for good reason and well-intentioned in certain situations, can also at some times be a hindrance 
to loving people well. And just thank you for Jesus' example of, I mean, he was God. I mean, he was part of the, you know, the Trinity that made the rules to start with. And he's able to say, you know, in certain situations, sometimes the rules need to take a back seat to loving people well. So I thank you that he gave us that example and that he saw the people right in front of them and knew that their hurt, their pain was more important than the rest of that day. So help us to be a people that can reflect you well with the right heart, with the right spirit, getting angry about the right things. And God, that, that there would be nothing that we would do that would be a barrier, a hindrance to people coming to know you. I pray that you would just speak to us as we give you this time just of silence.